Greetings, ladies and metalgents, and welcome to this latest rendition of Tales from Outer Space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And as always, I hope that you enjoy, and if you do, please consider supporting the channel. Now, on to the science fiction. Story number one. Human Engineers, written by Adidi. It's generally accepted in the universe that gods aren't real, or if they are, they do nothing. They're still the odd crackpot, all super-devout species, but almost every spacefarer doesn't believe in gods. It's a rare, almost unique creature that believes in some deity and can handle the truths of the void. Commander Jerry, whose actual name was unpronounceable mess of clicks and high-pitched jitters, was concerned. He had set about doing an inspection of his ship and found significant irregularities in engineering. He'd recently taken on a new head engineer, a new species that had recently joined the galactic community. When the human engineer had joined the crew, there'd been a few days of oddities, but that was always to occur with a new head engineer. The human had often arrived in his work overalls and marred with oil or other grime, always with a tool in hand fixing something or the other. Once the human got everything shipshape, as he called it, Engineering Bay was running smoothly again, often outperforming the time it was under the old head engineer. The human, however, was strange. He wore a ring on his little finger, and often talked about God in regards to the engines and if they'd worked. They almost always did, and the times that they didn't, he fixed them fast enough for it to not matter. When he'd questioned the human of the ring, all he'd received as a response was a muttering about a binding of honor and iron. The commander was starting to think that the human engineer was religious. The real concern was the fact that in an unused corner of the engineering bay was a small shrine. A simple thing made up of scrap and metal and rivets. There was no god there, nor religious symbol, but rather a few cogs, an ancient spanner, and a simple inscription, repeated in each language of the engineering crew. Between them and the void we stand. Things got even more peculiar when the captain noticed that any time one of the engineering crew passed the shrine, they would reach out and touch the cowling of the section on which the words were written. Eventually, he managed to ask one of the lesser engineers what it was about. The engineer shrugged and told him, Chief set it up. It works. Didn't ask him why or how, but it makes sense. Before scuttling off to attend to a task or other. Things kept getting more and more confusing when he heard the engineers referring to the ship as she and talking about it as if it were a living thing. He knew that there was no living being that was fused to the ship, and the ship was wholly machine, no biology. There wasn't even an AI. The commander continued to wonder about engineering, confused and concerned for his engineering crew. He was rudely shaken from his wondering when he was yelled at to move or be moved. He turned to scold whoever would dare yell at the ship's commander, only to meet the eyes of the human head engineer. He got halfway through the scolding when he was silenced by the threatening wave of a screwdriver. 
You rule up on the bridge. I reign down here. Now, what's the commander doing down here? He asked as he set about tightening the screw that held the pipe to the wall. The commander stood, stunned for a few seconds, more than long enough for the head engineer to finish what he was doing and head over to the next job, passing by the shrine on his way. The clink of his ring on the scrap metal shrine, bringing the captain out of his stunned silence. The final straw was when one of the valves started to hiss and spit, emitting a small spray of iron plasma. The head engineer picked up the spanner from the shrine and gave the valve a light bash. It instantly stopped venting and resumed standard operation. The spanner was returned to the shrine with an odd level of reverence. He decided that he wouldn't question the human engineer's methods so long as it worked. He didn't mind. It slowly became common knowledge among space-faring species that human engineers and sometimes other crew members, but mostly engineers, were religious. All the engineers worshipped the same god. The shrines were all different. All had different inscriptions, some reading things like nothing beyond the engineer but god, others more cryptic. The sacred trust they rarely understand. A few things, however, were universally common. Every human engineer had a supernatural ability to fix things by bashing them or simply restarting them. And whatever this religion was, it was convincing enough to often convert other members of the engineering crew. It seemed this god may actually exist when other species engineers started to develop the same talents to fix things by bashing them after working with the humans and following the same rites and rituals. Eventually, the god just got called the god of the engineer, and it became accepted that the engine room were the temples. The most curious part of this religion was treating the ship like a living thing, learning that she, for it was always a she, and she was even sometimes their mistress, had moods, and those moods were important, if not more so than the moods of the captain. Whenever pressed to explain, the humans would answer in vagaries, or look confused and ask the questioner if they couldn't feel it. The same answer came from other engineers that had taken to this religion. It was the first time that a religion survived the challenge of the void and crossed species. End of story. Story number two. Look to the shore. Written by breaks as wheat over my knee. We heard a lot about the humans, even on our battered home world on the edge of the war. News would reach us. We were glad to hear that they were on our side. Whatever that meant to a species whose involvement was essentially collateral damage in a much larger conflict. We were glad, mostly, because everything else we had heard about them was terrifying. We heard they preferred to communicate in every way but in person, as their environments were mutually incompatible with everyone else. We heard that even in the vacuum of space, where the lack of friction makes combat oh so much faster, the pilots flew like they were born to it. We heard that their spaceships were all empty, making them impossibly light and maneuverable compared to the firepower they had. Boarding a human ship, we heard, was a lost cause. Attackers would find themselves flopping on the ground in empty corridors, held in place by artificial gravity with nothing to swim against. By comparison, 
Humans boarding other ships would evacuate the whole ship as they took it over, forcing the defenders to fight weightless in a vacuum. We were told that humans would never fight on opponents' terms, but would instead make foothold on the harshest parts of a world. From there, they would own a planet's atmosphere and lay an unbreakable siege. They never entered the cities themselves, instead pummeling them from above with a torrent of ordnance until there was either surrender or there was nothing left to destroy. Human prisons, so it went, were impossible to escape. Anyone who managed to get out of the holding cells would find themselves in an unsurvivable environment that the humans preferred and would quickly perish or be recaptured. Eventually, the war ended. What was left of our species watched displays and what was left of our scorched planet as our alliance accepted their surrender in the defeated capital city halfway across the galaxy. Even there, the humans in attendance wore intimidating suits of armor that drew terrified glances from the subjugated foes. We were happy and relieved as much as could be afforded. Nice as it was to be on the winning side, we had done little to sway the outcome, and were now left with a dwindling population on a dying planet. At best, our species would scatter to the stars as a husk of itself. At worst, we faced extinction. That a solution was offered to us by the humans was something of a surprise, as much as we had never expected to even be noticed as our impression of them was decidedly violent. The solution itself was met with a healthy dose of trepidation. We wondered what the catch was. They wanted to give us their homeworld, any part of the planet that was suitable to us was ours to inhabit, so long as we kept it clean. A nice thought, but we had heard about how hostile the humans liked their environments. Their homeworld was likely to have little to no space for us, and what space we got would be surrounded by lethality. The stipulation about keeping our area clean was suspicious as well. Were we being used as convenient labor to clean up a polluted part of some other species' planet? Understandably, we asked for survey data. Much to our surprise, there was quite a lot of inhabitable space for us on their homeworld. Most of it, in fact. It wasn't pristine, but the pollution was manageable, and it would take very little effort for us to integrate with the local ecosystem. More surprising, though, was that it was almost completely empty. We asked how they could leave such a vast portions of the home undeveloped, and further still, how they could afford to give them away. The answer should have been obvious in retrospect. While every other space-bearing race in the galaxy lives in the seas, the humans live on the land. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment, just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one, and until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.